Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what do we have up for today? So today we're going to be covering a speech that Joe Biden did in Philadelphia recently. And this is one of the first speeches he's done since his announcement for president. And some of the things you're going to be noticing here are Joe Biden trying to really do Joe Biden better. In other words, he's going to really be looking at some of the criticisms that people have had of him and starting to orient himself toward the more positive aspects of how he can frame them. And other devices you're really going to hear within this speech are going to be things that we've been talking about for a while. In fact, they're very similar to some other speeches in which we've analyzed and done. So similar, in fact, that as we break them down, you're really going to be amazed at how closely Biden actually mimics some of the other speeches that we've done right here on the podcast. So in this first clip, we're going to hear Joe's introduction, and this is past, um, you know, people giving him their intros. This is past his wife coming on right before, and he walks into the theme music. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this. Folks, thank you, Jill. I'm Joe Biden, and I'm Jill's husband. You all think I'm kidding. That's how I'm identified. Everyone knows Jilly's a Philadelphia girl. She loves this city. I do, too. But to paraphrase the poet James Joyce, I have to say this, folks, because I'm near my state. When I die, Delaware will be written on my heart. I love Philly. Look, I'm mildly prejudiced, but I think she made a great, great second lady, and she's going to make one heck of a first lady. Folks, in the past few weeks, I've been all across America. Pittsburgh, Iowa, South Carolina, Nevada, California, New Hampshire, and today, Philadelphia. And this campaign is just getting started. And I promise you this, no one, No one's going to work longer. No one's going to campaign harder to win your hearts, your trust, and your support than the son of Catherine Eugene Finney from Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Joseph R. Biden Jr. from Delaware. Oh, man. And that's quite a longer intro than we've seen from a lot of candidates, um, just to introduce themselves. But um, here he really does a couple of interesting things. So we start off with Joe Biden really, you know, doing a a call out to, you know, the the women's movement by 
um, introducing himself as Jill's husband, which, you know, a lot of male candidates don't do. And so it's really funny that he does that. It really flips the tables. And I think it really appeals to a lot of people. And for one, at least for me, I saw it as a good way for him to sort of flip the script here. So, you know, he's had a lot of issues with, um, you know, with women and uh, and some uh, Me Too stuff um, previously. And so this is really a great way for him to sort of uh, refresh his his uh, his credibility on this. Um, And so, you know, it, you know, might be a little bit of a a canned and um, uh, kitschy sort of way to, you know, make up. But, you know, it is an attempt and it's it's an interesting way to sort of flip the script and catch people off guard. Yeah. And when he walks out, okay, he comes out. This is post his wife introducing him. He's wearing aviator sunglasses. He walks out like this rock star. And it's clear. It's really clear by his manner and his body language. that's it's his intention to be cool and to be modern. He throws his jacket casually to the side. He's got this glimmer in his eye and and the upbeat music is playing in the background. Now, Joe Biden is in Philadelphia. We've talked a lot about theme music here. What is he walking out to? He's walking out to Philadelphia Freedom by Elton John. And so as he's coming out with that music, he's starting off immediately with that approach. You know, people have oftentimes said, well, Joe Biden is too old to run. And so what is he really looking to convey? Convey. He's saying here, I am much more energetic. I still have it. I'm able to go up against Donald Trump. I still have that that aspect, you know, of me. And what we what we hear here is this this really framing of him and his wife's experience, right? So Jill made a great second lady and she he, she's going to make one heck of a first lady. So this is ordinals, right? So second to first. It establishes a certain theme and it's referencing back to him and his wife's experience in the White House. And then he really starts to go into his campaign experience. In the last few weeks, I've been all over America, Iowa, Pittsburgh, and today, Philadelphia. Now, where have we heard this before? Well, if you think about it, this is something that Ted Cruz and Better Our Work did in the Texas campaign, right? From East Texas to West Texas, from the Panhandle to the Valley. And then they went into their their idea. This is a rhetorical device that you'll hear many, many politicians and speechwriters use, which is listing off of a variety of places. And why is it that that works so well? Well, what happens is, is that when people hear a place that they like or that they're familiar with, they kind of go, oh, that kind of gives me a warm feeling inside, or I know about that place, or maybe I've been there too, or at least I saw it on a map. And because of that, it, it brings in a sense of calmness and safety and people check off their own internal boxes and they say, hey, I really have this done. And then at the end here of this clip, Joe Biden really starts off with a big theme of what we're going to be hearing him talk about. And the theme is no one is going to work harder, campaign harder than, and then he goes into the son of this person, the son of that person. And what he's linking here is Pennsylvania means hard work, it means values, it means getting it done, which as we'll hear later on in the clips, is exactly how he's going to be framing Donald Trump as not doing. So let's go ahead and listen to the next part of this uh, of this speech where he's 
really doing that call to action, getting people involved in the campaign. Let's take a listen to this one. So, those of you who are listening, if you want to be part of this campaign, pick up your phones. Pick up your phones. Now, send a text to the word United to the number 30330. Okay? That's United. 30330 or 303330. Or BOO. Anyway, but you got it. It's on the back there. (laughs) So look, look, it's a logical question that people ask why we began this journey in this place, this great city of Philadelphia. Well, there's a simple reason. There's a simple reason. Because that's, well, let, 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 let them go. That's not how we do it. Other campaigns do it this way. We don't do it this way. You will not hear me speak. I made a pledge. I mean this sincerely. I made a pledge. You will not hear me speak ill of another Democrat. Look, the reason we're here is because in a literal sense, this was the birthplace of our democracy. It was, it was here over two, you know, the fact is two of the most important documents, not only in our history, but the history of the world were written right here. In 1776, the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. These words, these words are the basis for the American creed, equality, equity, fairness, decency. America didn't live up to that promise for most of the people at the time, a prom- the people of color of w- for women, but we were born of an idea that every single solitary person given half a chance, no matter where they're from, given half a chance. There's not a single thing they cannot do if they work at it. Nothing's beyond their capacity. That's who we are. Then in 1887, 1787, the United States Constitution, we, we the people, this word changed everything. Power rested in the people, not the government. Freedom to think to speak, to act, to criticize your government, all protected. We, we became the model for the world. In both documents, there's a singular word, we. We hold these truths self-evident. We the people, both, both, and we gotta remember this, both were statements of a common purpose, a common purpose of one people, one nation. Our constitution doesn't begin with the phrase, we the Democrats or we the Republicans. And it certainly doesn't begin with the phrase, we the donors. <laughs> Look, it began with the phrase that stands for, we are all in this together. We need to remember that today. I think more than any time in my career, our politics has become so mean, so petty, so negative, so partisan, so angry, and so unproductive, so unproductive. Instead of debating our opponents, we demonize them. Instead of questioning judgments, we question their motives. Instead of listening, we shout. Instead of looking for solutions, we look to score political points. But no more, no more. Because this politics, this politics is pulling us apart. 
It's ripping this country apart at the seams. All right. So we hear Joe Biden right there at the very beginning with that call to action. Pick up your phones. Pick up your phones, he says, and send a text. And he's wanting them to do it right at that moment. Send a text and send it. Send the word United to this number. And then he says, send a text now. And he does that to jolt people into action. And then he says, that's United. Now, where have we heard this before? Well, in Kamala Harris's campaign, in her speech that we analyzed and really looked over, this is something very similar to what she did. And the idea of getting them and jolting them into action, I want you to do this right now. And then as someone starts to interrupt that process, he says, you know, others might do that. That's not how we we do it. And he starts off with this idea of the reason why we're here. Now, I want you to reference back to the episode that we did on Oprah's speech when she was campaigning for Stacey Abrams in Georgia. And she said, Oprah, why are you in Georgia? The reason I'm here. And then she went into all of her reasons. Now, the key to understand about answering these types of questions is that people don't actually want the logical answer of why they're there. Okay, so if if Oprah had said, the reason I'm here is to campaign for a candidate, and that was all she said, that wouldn't have been very powerful. But Joe Biden really recognizes that, and he says, the reason I'm here is because this was the literal birthplace of democracy. Now, there are many other places that we could say that about. But Biden picks up on Philadelphia's history and attributes to that, and he's pointing directly with his finger while he's doing that. And the idea that he's getting across here is the Philadelphia Freedom song that comes on, this idea of Philadelphia being associated with hard work. And you'll notice that whenever politicians do a campaign stop, wherever they go, they will ahead of time think about where, what is it about that place that makes that significant or special. And so he starts off with Philadelphia. He can reference you know, him uh, growing up in Scranton. He references, you know, Delaware earlier. And he starts off by really quoting then the Declaration of Independence, getting really into the history of it. And he goes into so many significant persuasion tactics here because at that moment, he's then very regal. At that moment, he's then just like a history teacher giving you that education, giving you that lesson about the U.S., Yeah, and the whole time that he's doing this, and he's talking about these ideals within, you know, the founding documents of our country, he takes his finger and he's pointing it. Now, a lot of candidates don't like to point directly with their finger. They, you know, might use their knuckle, they might use their open palm, but he actually takes his finger and points it out at the audience. Also, you know, like a hectoring teacher, like somebody um, who's teaching a lesson but sort of as though he's teaching the country a lesson almost is is sort of the way that i see it and then as he's doing that as he's pointing his finger out there talking about these ideals he then points upwards on some phrases uh as if he's tying these you know these ideals about democracy and our country as you know it might be more of a spiritual uh connection to all of these And so we really see him subliminally using his body language 
and his actual language to draw your attention to these concepts um, and then and connect them spiritually. So that, I've just found that really interesting. And then he'll start off with something that's very abstract, like that equality, equity, fairness, decency. And then he'll point to something very concrete, like this is what was in our founding document. He'll talk about, you know, um, uh, welcoming people uh, of other um, of other races and origin in the next section here. Um, and you'll see him draw that into the Statue of Liberty. So as you're listening to these clips, take note of the way that he talks about very abstract things, but then picks one thing that's concrete and in this world to then draw your attention to as an example of uh, his explanation of that abstract concept. And he goes into this idea of we. Okay, now this is a really big theme here within democratic um, presidential races now is that it's all about we, we the people, we, we, we. But then it's who is it that's getting elected, okay? Well, obviously Biden is getting elected and he's saying, well, but this is something we are doing. But how will you get people to actually go and pick up their phones and send that text message? How do you get people to donate? How do you get them to come out and canvas? How do you get them to vote? You do that through having them feel like they are a part of it. And But who is he talking about when he says we? Is he talking about all of those within the campaign? Is he talking about all of those within the Democratic Party? Is he talking about all of those who want to do the quote-unquote right thing? Okay, Or is he talking about everyone within the U.S.? Is he talking about everyone within the world? Who is he talking about? Then this is a scope ambiguity, meaning the scope of the sentence, how far it extends, can't be determined based upon as you hear it and then he says this interesting thing here you know he when he's talking about the declaration of independence he says we became the model of the world now what does he mean by that does he mean that we the word we became the model of the world or does he mean like we all of the people here became the model of the world you see it's very hypnotic in the way he says this And he says, you know, we're all in this together. Again, who is that? And then he goes into this idea of what is it about our politics? He says, our politics has become so mean, so petty, negative, partisan, angry, and then so unproductive, so unproductive. Now, this is a direct call out to Trump. He's calling Trump unproductive. And remember where we are. It's Philadelphia. Biden is from Scranton. He says, this is what this is about. The people of Pennsylvania are all about productivity. They're about hard work, that if you really want to do something, you're going to get it done. But Trump, Trump is unproductive. And so he says, instead of this, we this. So instead of the positive, we do this. And this is a nice little language pattern here. It's repetition. It's theming. Instead of debating, we're demonizing. Instead of looking for solutions, we're looking to score political points. And he goes into that whole repetition, repetition, repetition aspect, which really gets it into a person's brain and gets them emotionally captivated. And once he has them emotionally captivated, then he just leans on the point and he says, but no more, no more. And people begin to cheer. Now, why is it that they're clapping so hard at that idea of no more? 
And if you think about it, this is a real insight to human psychology. It's taking away something that's painful and it's leading them towards something that is positive. Like they think that Joe Biden is going to solve all of their issues. You know, it's kind of like Joe Biden is going to make America kind again, right? He's <laughs> going to bring them back to this aspect of kindness. He's going to bring them back to who they who they actually want to be. But this is the illusion that goes through all political campaigns, which is that that politician is going to solve everything in life. That politician is going to make it so that the pain in life doesn't exist anymore. And what they're not doing, what everyone is cheering with that isn't doing, is really seeing throughout the scope of history, right, when was it that the, the cycle didn't rebound and then go back up or go back down again? But in order to get people into this fervor, in order to get them into this action, this is what they have to believe. They have to believe, okay, this guy is going to solve all of the problems. He's going to solve all of the issues. All right. So now we're going to get into the next clip. And in this one, he's going to be talking about, um, again, those abstract concepts and those concrete uh, examples while, you know, calling out Trump and our current situation in America. It's really interesting the way that he frames our current situation and then talks about how that's not our ideal situation and, you know, talking about all of the founding ideals. And then he goes into a very hopeful framing where he starts talking about, you know, what is possible. So let's take a listen. Our politicians, our politics today, traffics in division. And our president is the divider in chief. Oh, yeah. Look, but he's not the only one, far from it. He's just the worst practitioner of politics that singles out, scapegoats, and demonizes. He holds out the other as a source of all their problems. You hear it, the immigrant the Muslim, anyone different in creed or color or conviction, they're the problem. That's what he says. That's been the scheme used by unscrupulous politicians for decades. But it comes at a gigantic cost. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It comes at a gigantic cost. It weakens us. It distracts us. It divides us. It causes us to lose credibility around the world. You know, it picks at the wounds and it solves nothing. This is not who we are. This is not who we are. And I absolutely refuse. I absolutely refuse to accept the notion that that's what we have to be. Folks, in this country, we're all bound together in this great experiment of equality and opportunity and decency. We haven't lived up to it. We've never given up on it. Everyone, and I mean everyone, everyone is in on the deal. That's why we've been the beacon of hope for the rest of the world. That's why the world has always looked at us. That must be Bernie or somebody. I don't know who that is. <laughs> America's unique in all the world. America, folks, is an idea. An idea stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It offers hope to the tired, the poor, your huddled masses, to breathe free. What's written on the Statue of Liberty? We seem to have given up on it. America guarantees everyone, and I mean everyone, be treated with dignity. America gives hate no safe harbor. Folks, that's what we believe. That's who we are. 
And I believe America has always been at its best when America has acted as one America. One America. So the thing that I always notice about Joe Biden in particular is he has this way of uh, bringing in the personal nature of what he's talking about. So he always phrases something um, with like a preface of, you know, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. No, I mean sincerely. Or he'll he'll find some sort of way to to deeply personalize whatever value he's talking about or whatever thing. He, he, sometimes he'll even start saying something and then stop himself and go back. I mean, but no, really, no, really, this is what I really think. As if to... Um, take the the listener starts listening to what he has to say they're then broken up their state their mental focus on this issue is broken and you know something that had joe biden continued um his phrase continued his whole statement the listener might not have thought anything remarkable about what was being said but because joe stops their train of thought stops their listening to this um to this statement and injects, but no, really, I mean this. The listener now knows, oh, this must be really important. I must really pay attention to this. And then he continues in with the statement, and now that statement has a lot more value to it. Um, and especially if Joe says, no, this is really personal to me, then the listener is now thinking, okay, he must really deeply hold this value because he's making a point to stop and say it. The, my only criticism, though, is that I think I think Joe Biden really does this a little too much. He does it so frequently throughout his speech that, for me, at least as a listener that's aware of this, it you know it causes me to question whether he actually believes it or not. Um, that sincerely, he might believe it, but I mean, is he does he believe it enough to actually stop somebody and and explain that belief further? It's really interesting, and so you'll hear that, and then. You know, he does a great job of, uh, you know, calling out Trump right here and calling out him as the divider in chief. I find that really interesting because, A, it's a play on knowledge that people already have in being, you know, the the commander in chief. But now our government is not like it used to be uh, per the Constitution. We are not the United States of America. We're divided so we don't have a commander-in-chief, we have a divider-in-chief. And that's, again, another example of that abstract concept of politics, of that traffic and division, and then drawing it into a specific example of that, the divider-in-chief. Same thing he does with the Statue of Liberty. We, you know, we offer hope to the tired, the poor. It's even written on the Statue of Liberty. Um, again, taking abstract concept and then drawing it into the very concrete, something that people can relate to. Um, and when people do that, it's a great way to really embed um, those ideas. And he's taking the idea of America and he's being able to say to them, well, when you believe in this idea, that's what America actually is. And think about it like this. If America is an idea, then he can shape that idea to whatever he wants it to be, right? He can go back to the many ideas or ideals that people have had about America, and he can then attach any concept that he wants to that. It's a lot harder to shape an idea. It's a lot harder to shape an army than it is to shape an idea. 
So when he talks about how it has more power than a dictator or a tyrant, you know, that's a direct call out to Trump. He's saying America and we are greater than Trump. We're better than than Trump. And I really love this thing right at the beginning here where he says, you know, he's the divider in chief. And then he says, and then people, you know, clap and applaud and say, that's right. And then he says, he's not the only one, but he's just the worst practitioner of politics that singles out scapegoats and demonizes. And this is very brilliantly phrased because he's not calling Trump bad. He's not saying that directly. He just calls him a practitioner of a type of politics. So he has Texas ideas while simultaneously he's labeling him. And so this way, no one can come back and accuse Biden of being soft on Trump. Okay. And he, they also can't accuse him of getting into the dirt with Trump. So he creates this distinction. It's we versus the other mentality. So are we in the we mentality? Are we in the mentality that is most uh, friendly to Democrats? Or are we in the other mentality, which is what Trump is doing? And it's not that he himself is the problem, because if he gets into a name-calling contest with Trump, he knows that that's not going to go anywhere. And so he's already decided he's not going to do that. Instead, he's attacking his ideas. And at the same time, very subtly, he's saying, hey, Trump is bad because he's in this particular type of idea. And then he says it's it's costing us, and he lumps Trump in with all that has been you know costing us. And it's really interesting with all this historical theming that he's doing, right? We've heard this before, and politicians have been talking about the historical theming. You know, going into our roots, we all learned in school that America guarantees dignity; it gives hate no safe harbor. And yet, what Biden is suggesting here is that since the time of the Statue of Liberty, that America has guaranteed dignity. But has America really actually guaranteed dignity since that time, or is that a more recent development? And the more important question is, do millennials and Generation Z even really care about that distinction? Or do they think, well, this is just the way in which it's always been, and this is the way in which it should be? And that's one of the reasons you see the different differences in how people vote based on their age range is it's just what they've learned, what they've experienced, and do they remember a time in which that wasn't actually true? And what Biden is pointing to here is he's saying, well, this idea is true and it always has been true. And that's how values work is that when a person has a value, they're thinking of it not in only the right now exact present time, not only in the future, but they're thinking about it spanning all time. And so when Biden talks about America having this value, it's across all time. And it, it makes it much more persuasive being able to do that. Now, in this next clip that we're going to be listening to here, we're going to be hearing Biden getting even more into this idea of unity and getting into it. And we're going to really hear him start to do the Barack Obama thing where he talks about the folks, right? And this is actually something we call an anchor. He's using it again and again and again to really bring people back into what they would like to be doing. So let's take a listen to this clip. And I believe America has always been at its best when America has acted as one America, one America. One America may be a simple notion, but it doesn't it doesn't make it any less profound. This nation needs to come together. It has to come together. Yes. Folks, 
We started this campaign when we did. I said I was running for three reasons. The first is to restore the soul of the nation, the essence of who we are. I mean it. And the second is to rebuild the backbone of this nation. And the third, to unite this nation, one America, one America. Folks, I know some of the really smart folks say Democrats don't want to hear about unity. They say Democrats are so angry that the angrier a candidate can be, the better chance he or she has to win the Democratic nomination. Well, I don't believe it. I really don't. If Democrats, I believe Democrats want to unify this nation. That's what our party's always been about. That's what it's always been about, unity. If the American people want a president to add to our division, lead with a clenched fist, a closed hand, a hard heart, to demonize your opponent, to spew hatred, they don't need me. They've got President Donald Trump. <laughs> Folks, I'm running off our country, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, a different path. Not back to a path that never was, but to a future that fulfills our true potential as a country. Now, some of these same people are saying, you know, Biden just doesn't get it. You can't work with Republicans anymore. That's not the way it works anymore. Well, folks, I'm going to say something outrageous. I know how to make government work. Not, not because I've talked or tweeted about it, but because I've done it. I've worked across the aisle to reach consensus, to help make government work in the past. I can do that again with your help. For me, for me, to me, our principles must never be compromised, but compromise itself is not a dirty word. Consensus is not a weakness. It's the only way our founders down the road there thought it was the only way we could govern. It was necessary. It was designed the way the Constitution sits. It requires consensus. You know, I did it when I was a senator. It's what I did as your vice president, working with Barack Obama. And it's what I will do as your president. So let me be real clear. Everybody listening, Democrats and Republicans, if I'm elected your president, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make progress on the matters that matter most. Civil liberties, civil rights, voting rights, women's right to choose, national security, personal security healthcare, an economy that rewards work, not just wealth, a climate change policy that will save our children and grandchildren and this planet. So Joe does a lot of really interesting things in this section. First, he really introduces the theme of one America. And he repeats this over and over and over again and sort of nominalizes it. It's now a thing. It's not just America. It's one America. And uh, he sort of defines it really as his platform uh, because he's got three reasons for running. Restore the soul of the nation, rebuild the backbone of the nation, and unite the nation, one America. But he doesn't explain any of those. Those are three things that are very vague. What does it mean to restore the soul of the nation? What does it mean... What backbone of the nation rebuilding the backbone of the nation can mean a number of things it could mean you know uh, rebuilding the rust belt it could mean 
you know, uh, strengthening our foreign policy. It could mean, you know, economic security. It could mean any number, any number of things. You can make it up in your head. And then maybe the most clear out of all of them is the Unite the Nation that he spends the most time talking about. So he's super vague about these three reasons for running. And he sets up a straw man that they say Democrats don't want unity. But who's the they? And this is a form of inoculation, right? Uh, he then comes up with an, with an argument that people can say uh, back to that person. Or somebody might play out in their head this scenario. Um, and he sort of offers his own rebuttal that if American people want a president who will do all of these bad things that Trump are, that Trump's doing, they don't want me. They've got Donald Trump. And so it's very direct. It's very, you know, in your face and it's very confrontational. And I think that that's what he tries to do to imply that he can stand up to, you know, critics and uh, Donald Trump. And we hear the great metaphors here that Biden is using. He says that if you want someone who's going to rule with a clenched fist, I mean, wow, just just imagine this, this uh, what this actually implies, right? A clenched fist, a closed hand, a cold heart. They don't need me. They've got Trump. And everyone applauds. And it's like, okay, wow, that's there's some pretty strong symbology there. And then we hear him continuing with the symbology of, I'm offering a different path. Hmm, where have we heard Joe Biden say this before? Folks, we're walking down a cold, dark path. It's a shadow path. Remember this? We did this in a previous episode. We were talking about how Biden's very illustrative ideas about going down this path, and it's scary, and it's, it's uncertain. But then he moves into a future that's fulfilling then our true potential. He doesn't explain what that future is going to be. He's very vague about it. But he explains that there is a future. And actually just that concept that there is going to be a future helps a lot of people to really be inspired. Then he says, they say that you can't work with Republicans. Again, similar to what Alex was just describing, this inoculation, this idea of the, the straw man. Who is the they that's saying that? They say that you can't work with Republicans. But folks... Here's the folks. I'm going to say something outrageous. I know how to make government work. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that he knows how to make a government work? <laughs> in what way does he know how to make it work? Like, are we really to believe that Biden's going to get in the White House and that all the Republicans are going to say, yes, Joe Biden is here. Now we're going to have one America. <laughs> like, no, there's no way in which that's actually occurring. Um, and then... He goes into this idea of, you know, as your president, let me be clear. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to, and then he just names those keywords, right? I'm going to do this and that other thing and that other thing, just like we've heard many people do before. And he lists off these really uh, very strong liberal policies for the crowd, just talking about the need to compromise on those things. But then in the next section here, he returns to talk about the compromise now that the crowd's on his side and the positive emotions within those beliefs. So he's really stirring up all of these positive emotions. He's getting them into that place of thinking about all of the reasons why he's in this race, which again, vague, but it sounds good, right? Restoring the soul of the nation. Wow, it sounds very, 
you know, soul-like, very oriented on a person's heart. Rebuild that backbone. These are all metaphors. And at the same time, he's creating this very clear distinction, positive and negative. And you can hear this in a lot of the speeches in which we've broken down, right? It's kind of like, here's all of the things you don't like. Here's all of the good stuff. And the more vague they can be about their promises, the less someone has to actually hold them to those promises when they actually get into office. And I think all of this is really important for the way that Joe Biden is making his case, right? He's making his path to victory is to come off as the candidate that can unite people and can compromise and can get things done. Uh, Now, to make that case, he needs to convince a lot of Democrats that that's the right path to go down, that we should actually compromise, because there are a lot of Democrats right now on the left that don't believe that compromise is possible and don't want to do it. So what he's doing here is really masterful um, dance where he talks about how he can get government to work and then he um, brings up something that the crowd is really going to love and that they're really going to get excited about policy X, policy Y, policy Z. Um, And then he goes into talking about how he's going to compromise, which is like sort of contradictory. As your president, let me be clear, I'm going to do all of these things that you want, but we really need to compromise on all of these things that I just brought up. And so it doesn't really make much sense. But the the, the thing about it is that it doesn't have to make sense because he's whipping the crowd into a positive state and then tying that to the idea of compromising and as if that is another value that they can add to that list. And so it's really interesting that he does that right there. And uh, and sort of the phrasing here of of, you know, you'll see later he'll he'll bring up, you know, things that people love Barack Obama, his time in uh, D.C. and getting people excited. And then he'll or maybe he'll bash Trump. But then he'll talk about compromise. And so it's this really like love. And here's this other thing I want you to love, too. So let's get into the next clip. The greatest challenges we face in the future will be over technology, intellectual property, clean energy, a warming planet. There's not a single thing that building a wall or imposing imposing another tariff can address on any of these issues. Folks, we need a 21st century strategy for America. But every tool that Donald Trump uses is out of the past. Folks, we have to get focused, focused on the future. It's the only way we're going to invest in an educational system our people need to succeed in the 21st century. Jill always says, she's a community college professor, she always says, any country that out-educates us will out-compete us. That's just a natural fact. And folks, that success will come when we generate free community colleges. Invest in job training and apprenticeships, continuing education, allowing people to fill jobs in the future, a stronger commitment to pre-K, and so much more. Folks, we know it works. We know we have to do. So let's stop fighting and start fixing. Look, y'all. I need you. I need you.
We want Joe. I need you. <laughs> and this is this is amazing. You know, this is this um, kind of call and response. Like if you've ever seen a concert where someone like the the person giving the concert will say something and then the crowd says something. And in this way, Joe Biden is doing in reverse. They say something which he knows that they're going to say. You know, this was not unplanned, of course. Um, and then they start chanting. And then he says, I need you. We want Joe. I need you. And it creates this nice little, you know, back and forth that people are really going to remember. And it really ties into his we theme is, you know, this, we're, we are doing this together. Yeah, it's really funny the way that that he, you know, has uh, that's, of course, a tried and true tactic to have plants out there in the audience to start a, a, a chant. Um, but what he does here again is that that framing of here are some positive things. And then he goes into that, you know, we need to stop the division and get to work. And uh, and so back to that of like, that's compromise again. Um, so he's really selling hard here that, you know, all of these great things that um, he talks about all require somehow because I'm not I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but somehow achieving all of these great liberal policies requires compromise. And um you know, I love the little thing, the anecdote he brings in Jill, his uh, his wife, community college professor. And so she has an old saying and uh, <laughs> that uh, any country that out educates us is going to um, is going to outcompete us. And that's just a natural fact. <laughs> and it's really funny how he sort of ties that like, what? That's a natural fact. That's true. That's all of that. But he just accepts it. And and he says it in such a nonchalant way of like, of course, that's true. And, you know, that sort of creates the expectation in the mind of the listener that, yeah, OK, yeah, that makes sense. And then he goes into sort of uh, jumping into an emotional state. So you don't have time to actually analyze what he just said. And now we're talking about all of these great things, the free community colleges, the investing in the job training and apprenticeships and continued education, all of that. And uh, and then he does the folks we know it works. We know what we need to do. So let's stop fighting. Let's stop fighting is code for compromise mm. and start fixing. Yeah, but how? <laughs> what does that? <laughs> what does that mean? You know, how how are we going to start? You know, uh, start fixing things. And this is really mind reading. You know, and this is something that Joe Biden actually uses throughout his whole speech, which is, folks, we know it works. Who knows what? Okay, who who knows that it works? You know what what is it that works, and who knows that it works? But again, leaving it very vague like that makes it so that people can fill in their own pictures, makes it so that people can fill in their own ideas of what what they think you know actually works. But he keeps saying this: we know that it works. We know what we need to do. And then, you know, let's stop fighting and start fixing. This is a nice little rhyme, rhyming thing, fighting and fixing. Let's stop and start. It's what in hypnosis they call it apposition of opposites, which is taking two things that are polar to one another and linking them together in a sentence like that. And of course, if you've listened to political dialogue almost at all, you know that this is a very common tact, which is that people will actually go and utilize opposite things and they'll kind of link them together and make them rhyme like that and that's because things that rhyme tend to stick in the brain more than 
things that don't rhyme. And when he links them together in that in that way, it makes it so it, it gives people something to repeat. And by the way, that's not the first time, of course, that Biden has used that um, stop fighting and start fixing mantra. This is this is one of the things in which um, he said. Now, in this next clip, we're going to be talking about how really he starts to take all of this and now links it directly to Trump. And he's going to be talking about um, climate change, actually. And as he talks about climate change, we'll see how quickly he takes climate change, something which is an issue. And he does what we were talking about with Obama with those thematic appeals. And he's going to take from the issue and then link it to Trump. So link all of the frustration, the pain, the hurt, the anxiety that people have around climate change. And he's going to link it right to Trump. So let's take a listen to this clip. Folks, we need a president who's willing to lead, who will insist on dramatic change for the sake of our children. Folks, let me tell you something. The single most important thing we have to accomplish to get this done, the single most important thing we have to accomplish is defeat Donald Trump. Trump's in the White House, as long as Donald Trump's in the White House, none of these things, these critical things, are going to get done. So if you want to know what the first and most important plank in my climate proposal is, beat Trump. Beat Trump. Beat Trump. And here's one thing we need to remember. One thing I just discussed. From everything I just discussed, from education to infrastructure to health care to climate, there's an overwhelming agreement among the American people. What should be done? That's true. He doesn't. But people are not divided. It's our politics that's divided. And that gap, and that gap, that's causing the failure to act. It's giving rise to the worst elements in our society. People coming out from under the rocks, out of fields, carrying torches. Folks, if you'd asked me a few years ago, if our democracy was at stake, I would have smiled and, and laughed a little bit. But no more. No more. The threat to this nation, to our democracy, is real. It's clear and it's present. You've watched the president now for three years. Look at what he's doing. Instilling fear. I mean, not, not joking. Instilling fear. Sowing division. Stroking racial division. Undercutting every institution that was designed to check the abuse of power by the president or anyone else. All this for what reason? All this in order to solidify his base and expand his power. Think about it. No, really, think about this. There's relentless attacks on the free press, fake news, the enemy of the people. They're nothing to be dismissed. Tyrants and dictators all over the world are using the same language to stifle dissent and solidify their own power in their countries. His attack on the independence of courts, saying you cannot trust the judge because of his Mexican ancestry. No, I'm, by the way, if I made this speech here 10 years ago, you'd laugh at me. You'd say, that's not going to happen. That can't be America. That can't be an American president, Democrat or Republican. Folks, his attack on the co branch of government, the Congress, 
blocking their constitutional responsibility to legitimately engage in oversight, placing him above the law. And by the way, without a whimper from the Republicans of Congress who know better. They know better. They know better. Yeah, so Biden's really doing a lot of interesting things here where he's, you know, getting into that overwhelming agreement of the American people that the people are not divided. It's the politics that are divided. So he's sort of taking this abstract concept of the American people, nominalizing it, turning it into a noun, turning it into an entity, and then talking about that entity as though it's contiguous, as though every single American agrees, which is not true. I mean, that's we wouldn't be divided if it wasn't true. So he's just he's sort of reframing the whole thing and turning it into this. Um, that's really interesting there. But, you know, what I love here is that, you know, he's uh, speaking in absolutes about Donald Trump, saying that, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation if Trump didn't get elected. We wouldn't have all of these problems if it wasn't for Trump. We would have all of these policies that I'm talking about if it weren't for Donald Trump. Uh, my first step on my climate plan is getting rid of Donald Trump. So it's a lot of demonizing Donald Trump and talking, and he he throws in a little a little bit in there about his electability too, that Joe Biden needs to uh, you know, we need to get rid of Donald Trump. So that needs to be the first step of any plan to advance any of these policies. And how do you do that? Well, you elect Joe Biden because he is the most electable. He's sort of going, uh, doing a little uh, roundabout reference there to his electability that all the other candidates like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren might have all of these great policies, but th- Joe Biden is sort of uh, given a little subtext there that they can't actually defeat Donald Trump, which should be the first step in all of their plans. And Joe Biden is the only one who can do that. So you need to elect him because he's got the best plan. And right before this clip, he is really talking a lot about climate and the danger of climate and how this is, you know, really getting to this point where we need to take action now. And then what's the single most important part in Joe Biden's climate proposal? Is it to reform auto manufacturing? Is it to reduce greenhouse gases? Is it to have more wind power or hydro rather than coal? Like, no, his important thing is defeat Donald Trump. And actually, it's two words, beat Trump, beat Trump. And he says it three times. Okay, and this is emotionally connecting them with that idea okay he he really solidifies that and beat trump beat trump that's what it's all about and that's what people want to hear really and so we hear him talking about this failure to act giving rise to the worst element he's going back to this idea that we have heard before and we know how we've heard this idea we've heard this idea of talking about the politics not the person the reason that donald trump is so dangerous is because of his politics and because of his policies not because of who he is and saying that donald trump is the worst example of this so we hear the metaphors right coming out from under the rocks out of the fields carrying torches. Well, he doesn't have to say that these people are the, you know, basket of deplorables, but they are coming out from under the rocks. They are carrying the torches. And then we hear him linking it to tyrants and dictators. 
and then not a whimper from the Republicans in Congress who know better. They know better. They know better. And again, this is the guy who just told us that he's going to compromise. This is the guy who just told us that that's what this is all about is is uh, accomplishing things. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the next clip where we're going to hear Biden going back into the historical nature of this place and of this time. As we stand here today, we're only 140 miles from Gettysburg, perhaps the most famous symbol in our nation's history of the cost of division. In this Gettysburg Address, Lincoln didn't only honor the bravery of those who lost their lives at Gettysburg. He had a message for the living. He said, it is for us to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that a government of, by, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Folks, that wasn't just a challenge from Lincoln to those present that day in Gettysburg. It was a challenge he handed down to every generation of Americans to follow. Now, that challenge has been handed to us. And it's the test above all others that future generations of America will measure us by. Will we be the ones to let the government of, by, and for the people perish from the face of the earth? We let that happen? Dare we let that happen? Absolutely not. We will not. I will not. You will not. The promise of this nation, our standing, the beacon of hope in the world, will not be extinguished on my watch or yours. And here's the amazing thing about the mo- this moment in history. On the one hand, we're facing the biggest threat any of us of this, uh, gathered in this field, in this beautiful place any of us have faced in our entire lifetimes. But on the other hand, on the other hand, we've never had a future that's more promising. I've said it many times. I'm more optimistic about America's future today than when I, was got, when I got elected, not young enough to be sworn in as a United States Senator at age 29. Here's why. Folks, we are better positioned than any nation in the world to lead the 21st century. And as I've traveled the world and met with almost most of the world's leaders, they know it. Without us, they can't lead. Our workers are three times as productive as workers in Asia. That's a fact. Number one, we have the biggest economy in the world. We have the strongest military in the history of the world. We have the most innovative entrepreneurs. We're virtually energy independent. We have, we have more great research universities in this city, this state, this country, than all the world combined. That's a fact. No other nation, no other nation can match us if we step up. We lead by the power of our example, not by the example of our power. The only thing that can tear America apart is America itself, and we cannot let that happen. knows who Donald Trump is. Even his supporters know who he is. But I have to let you know, here's the deal. We have to let them know who we are, what we stand for. We choose hope over fear, truth over lies, and yes, unity over division. So folks, it's time for us to lift our heads up. 
open our hearts and remember who we are. We are the United States of America. And I mean this. There's not a single thing we cannot do if we do it together. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So what we hear him here, what he's talking about here, of course, he references then Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. He talks about the challenge. It's the challenge that's been handed to us. It's the greatest challenge. Now, what is he talking about there? What is the greatest challenge? Well, the greatest challenge is knowing that democracy is going to be extinguished. Are we going to be the ones that let the government buy and for the people perish from the earth? Will we let that happen? Dare we let that happen? Here's the repetition. Absolutely not. I will not. You will not. We will not. Now, again, he could just say, we're not going to let it happen. But he says each part in sequence, and this is a way of getting people on the same page. And then he he goes back into metaphor. The promise of this nation, the beacon of hope for the world, will not be extinguished on my watch or yours. Beacons of hope. The world being extinguished on my watch, right? These are all metaphors, symbology that helps it to happen. And then he talks about on the one hand and on the other hand. Now, what I want you to pay close attention to on this part is that when he talks about the biggest threat on the one hand, he turns all the way over to people's left. So it's his right, but it would be people's left. He talks about the threat. And then on the other hand, and he leans over to the right, talking about the future, And this has to do with how people process time, that for most people, their future is on their right. For most people, their their past is on their left. And then he moves it back into integrating it right in the center when he's talking then about himself and what he's going to do. And, you know, he summarizes it up then going into all these very strong, powerful ideas about what it's about. We have the biggest economy in the world, the strongest economy, the greatest this, the, the biggest that. Who have we heard this before saying that? Well, Donald Trump. He does this all the time, right? Biggest, greatest, strongest. And then he links it to then that's a fact. And he goes back to his classic idea. We're going to go with the power of our example, not the example of our power. And actually, we heard Biden say that before. And then the only thing that can tear America apart is America itself. So overall, we hear a lot of those themes, a lot of that symbology coming through here. And, you know, it was a very interesting, interesting speech that he got here. He really riled the crowd up, really got him into it. All right. I think that's about all the time we've got for today. Head on over to subliminallycorrect.com and send us your comments. Check out some of our uh, previous episodes. And uh, you can also visit our Patreon to help out keep the show on the air with uh, donating just as much to give us a cup of coffee. And then you can also head on over to Twitter and Facebook. Leave us your comments. Send us some messages. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. Share the episodes with all of your friends. And uh, we will talk to you again in two weeks.